Good morning. Uh, today we are starting our Advent series, um, which Nick has titled, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And um, throughout the next four weeks during the Advent season, we will be looking at the different people who came to see Jesus. Um, so today we'll be looking at the shepherds, um, and then I believe we'll also look at the wise men, Anna and Simeon, over the next coming weeks. So to start out our Advent series, I wanted to share an Easter story. Um, so it was about two and a half years ago, uh, Samantha and I had just found out that we were expecting our first child, and we decided we wanted to tell our family, and we thought Easter's a great time to do that. So we put these little notes and Easter eggs and gave Easter eggs to everyone that said, we're pregnant. And it was really exciting. And as soon as everyone opened the eggs and found it, one family member, who will remain nameless, decided to text everyone in the family the exciting news. If you've ever gone through this, you know there's a very delicate order that you need to tell the immediately family first, and then extended family, and then certain friends before you post it on Facebook. Otherwise, people get really offended and upset that you didn't tell them, and they had to find out from someone else. So we immediately started scrambling to call brothers and sisters who we hadn't told the news to yet that found out through a text from someone else. Um, so much like this story, uh, today we're going to look at the shepherds who received news about uh, a baby that was going to be born, or who what had been born. Um, and we're going to consider, what do we do when we get good news? In this case, the immediate response to getting good news was to tell everyone. Um, and we're going to see that there's three steps kind of that the shepherds go through when they get good news. And we are going to consider, what should we do with the good news that we've received? So we'll look at receiving the good news, responding to the good news, and reveling in the good news. So to start, we are going to be looking at Luke 8, um, and we're going to read verses, or Luke 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 14. So would you read along with me? This follows right after what Chad read this morning about the birth of Christ. Um, so in verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we continue? Lord, I pray that as we look at your word and as I preach, um, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would remind us of the good news that we have received and show us how we should respond to this good news. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In your name, amen. So the first people to receive this good news, besides Mary and Joseph themselves, were these shepherds. And in all of the major scenes, we kind of have this picturesque image of these shepherds, these wonderful people that were living out in the countryside, tending their flocks. It's a peaceful place, a wonderful place to be. But in all actuality, shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder. Um, 
theologian J.F. Strange places them just below prison guards. So if there's like a hierarchy of jobs that you want, being a shepherd is just below being a prison guard and just above being a slave child. Um, so it's kind of the lowest of the free occupations that you can have without actually being a slave. And the reason why this was such a low position in society is because their work being around animals, around blood and feces and all these things meant that they were constantly unclean. So they could not participate in social life. They, had, they couldn't go into the temple. Um, they couldn't make sacrifices. They were constantly in a state of unclean because their work kept them around things which made them ceremonially unclean. Now, in this area, it says in the nearby region around Bethlehem, Bethlehem's about six miles away from Jerusalem where the temple was. These shepherds watching over flocks were likely watching over flocks that would be used for sacrifices in the temple. Um, so their job was to care for the sheep that would eventually go and be the sacrifice for the sin of the people. And it was to these lowly shepherds that God decided to bring this news. So why would God choose shepherds, such a lowly people, to announce the birth of the king, the king of all kings, the one who's coming to save people from their sins? Well, Jesus came for all people. He didn't just come for the elite. And part of what we'll see in this story is there's a contrast between Christ and his kingdom and Caesar, the one who sent out the decree that everyone had to go and, and be registered to, to go for the census, the one who claimed to be Lord, the one who ruled over the entire Roman Empire. There's a contrast between the high and mighty Caesar and the even higher and mightier Jesus who came for the lowest of lows. So he, the angel comes to the shepherds to deliver good news. Now this is the third time, if you go back to the beginning of Luke, where an angel has come to bring good news. The first two times the angel is named as Gabriel, this time we don't know who the angel is for sure. But there's a pattern that happens every time an angel shows up to give some good news. First of all, the angel appears, which is shocking. Leads to the second thing in the pattern, which is the recipient of the message is afraid as I think we all would be if we were minding our own business, going about our day, and an angel appeared. Um, so the next step in the pattern is that the angel calms the fear. So usually it says, you know, an angel appeared to Zechariah, and he was afraid, and the angel said, fear not. Or then Gabriel, the angel, appeared to Mary, and she was afraid. Actually, it says she was troubled. It doesn't say she was afraid. She was just troubled. And the angel says, fear not. Every time the angel calms the fear, he does so with a little reason of why they shouldn't fear. For Zechariah, he says, fear not, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah had been praying for years for a child. Him and his wife were both elderly, and they did not have any children. With Mary, the angel appears and says, fear not, for you have found favor with God. To the shepherds, the angel says, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So there is good news. Um, another word that we see for good news throughout the Bible is gospel. The angel comes to bring the gospel to these shepherds, this good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Typically when we see this for all the people, at least in my mind as I was studying this, I'm like, oh, for everybody everywhere. 
but really that word people there is what's called a collective singular. So that means it's talking about a specific single group of people. And this good news that the angel is bringing is specifically for Israel at this point. Um, later in Luke, we'll see how that good news goes not just to the Israelites, but also to all people, to the Gentiles alike. So what is this good news? In our pattern so far, we have the angel appears, the person's afraid, angel calms the fear, and then the angel delivers the good news. So for Zechariah, this good news was that his elderly wife would bear a son who would turn many of the children of Israel to God. For Mary, the good news was that you would give birth to the Son of God, the promised Messiah. And to the shepherds, the angel says, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A statement that we hear so many times during the holiday season, during Christmas. So what does this word mean to the shepherds? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, first of all, to announce that it, the baby was going to be born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem, um, the city where David was born, this is very important because it ties this child to David, who is the king that received the promise from God that he would never lack an heir to sit on the throne. So immediately, this promise of a child is a promise of someone who's going to come that's going to be like David, who's going to sit on a throne. This child who's born is called a savior. So what do these shepherds need saved from? Well, the immediately th immediate thought for these shepherds is that they need saved from the rule of the Romans. At this time in Israel, Israel was not an independent nation. They were ruled over by the Romans, who, while they allowed them to practice religious freedoms, also imposed a lot of cultural things upon them and didn't give them the full freedom. And there was constant tension between Israel and Rome, where Israel wanted to have full freedom to be an independent um, nation to rule themselves. But yet they had Caesar and they had governors who imposed rules and made life very difficult. So the immediate thought of these shepherds is that here comes the Savior, the one who's going to save us from the Romans, but ultimately he really came to save them from their sins. So unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. The word Christ is the Greek word um, which is used for the Hebrew word Messiah or Messiah. This is the promised Messiah, the one throughout the Old Testament who is promised to the people of Israel to come and restore the throne of David. This is another reason why the shepherds were excited. And it's not just Christ, but it's Christ the Lord. This word Lord is the same title that was used for the emperor, for Caesar. If you wanted to address the Caesar at this time, you would say Lord. So to say that someone else is going to come and bear that title means that he's going to come and replace Caesar as the ruler. So imagine for the, sh for the shepherds, it would be the equivalent of us today if we had been living under the rule of the Chinese for 100 years or so. And an angel appears to you while you're out tending your flock or, I don't know, shoveling snow, um, and says, Behold, unto you is born today a child in St. Rita's who will save you from the Chinese and become president. 
that would give us some pretty good reason to be excited. Now, the good news that comes to the shepherds, this is their immediate thought because their focus is likely on their immediate circumstance, and we'll see this as we look at some of the other people that meet Jesus. The expectation of this Messiah is going to be one who will come and save them from the worldly captivity. But Christ comes to save them from something even greater, an eternal captivity, the captivity to sin and the power of darkness. So we have so far, let's review the steps, the pattern that we're following. An angel appears, the people are afraid. The angel calms the fear, and then the angel delivers the good news. Now with the first two, mess- or the angelic messages that they receive, the recipients question. They say, how can this be? For Zechariah, it's, how can my wife have a child? She's old. This doesn't happen. For Mary, it's kind of the other end of the spectrum. How can I have a baby? I'm not married. I'm a virgin. And in both of these times, the angel gives a sign to let these people know how that they can trust this good news that it will actually come to pass. So the sign, which the shepherds get a sign, they just don't question. I kind of imagine they're probably just a little dumbfounded um, to say anything. Um, I would be. If an angel showed up, I think I would just be like, what? <laughs> what is happening? So a sign, in, when we talk about prophecy throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of signs. A sign is a short-term promise that reveals the validity of a long-term prophecy. So, for example, let's say I came to you today and said, I guarantee you that the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl this year. And you laugh. How can I know this is true? Well, let me give you a sign. Tonight, the Browns will beat the Ravens 30 to 24 in overtime. Now, if that comes true, that's kind of a very rare outcome. You'd be like, maybe that guy knows what he's talking about. I'm a little nervous now that if the Browns do win 30 to 24 in overtime tonight, that you'll all think that the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl. Um, but that's what a sign is. It's kind of a short-term thing that gives the hearer of the message the ability to trust that the prophet is a true prophet and is not just telling them some lie or some distant thing that's going to happen that they'll never live to see. A lot of times in the Old Testament, you have like this promise that the Messiah is coming someday. And it's like, well, that's hundreds, maybe thousands of years away. How can we know that this is true? And they would give them a sign. So a biblical example of this would be when Moses goes to the burning bush and God says, go deliver my people from Egypt and I'll be with you. And Moses is very hesitant and wants to know. And God gives him the sign of turning his rod into a serpent and putting his hand into his coat and it coming out leprous and then putting it back and it's healed. These were short-term signs that let Moses know that God was going to be with him and do what he said. So for Zechariah, he has the promise that his elderly wife will bear a son. And the sign that the angel actually has the power is that Zechariah goes mute. This isn't a great sign if I had to pick a sign. (laughs) But it was because of his unbelief that he didn't believe that the angel's word was true. And so the angel said, here's a sign that you can know it's true, that you will not be able to speak until the child is born. For Mary, her questioning is, how can it be that I can bear a child, and how can I know that this child will be the son of God? And the sign for her is that she would, the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and she would, be, she would become pregnant while yet a virgin. 
that would be a short-term miraculous sign that would be like, okay, this angel knew what he was talking about. For the shepherd, their sign is that they would find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, it's not that unusual if you said, go to St. Rita's and you'll find a baby who is swaddled. You'd be like, well, yeah, I expect that. But if you said, go to the hospital and in the loading docks, you'll find a baby that's swaddled up amongst all the packaging materials. You'd be like, okay, that's unusual. They wouldn't expect to find a baby in a manger. A manger is the food trough where animals would eat. So they knew that they would expect, if this was true, that they would find a baby in a manger. And this baby is going to be the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Then if things weren't you know, terrifying enough for the shepherds, with one angel, an entire heavenly host joins them in singing praise to God. And the song that they sing is glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This first part, glory to God in the highest, focuses on God's glory in the heavens in the highest. We sang it this morning, if you didn't realize it or not, the Latin is gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. If you've ever wondered when you're singing that, what you're actually singing. You're singing glory to God in the highest. The second part, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, is peace to men on earth. So glory to God up high, and on earth peace to men. I think often in music, it's peace on earth, goodwill to men. Um, the ESV translates this passage as, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a little bit difficult in the Greek to translate this out, but the best translation, this word that's goodwill or favor, is actually talking about there, there will be peace to those whom God shows his favor. So those are the ones who hear God's word, obey his will, the elect whom God has chosen before the foundation of the earth to show his goodwill towards, they will be receiving peace as God comes and brings salvation. So we've kind of got to this first part. The shepherds have now received the good news. And just as the shepherds have received good news that a Savior is coming, we too have received the same good news that the Savior has come. That we have a Savior, and not only do we have the good news that the Savior has come, but we have the good news that the Savior is coming again. In the season of Advent, we so often focus on Christmas and the first coming of Jesus. Um, the word Advent is derived from the Latin Adventus, which means coming. And so it's just a simple season that says an expectation that something great is coming. So in this season, we not only want to look forward to Christmas Day, the celebration of the birth of Christ, but we also look forward to the time when he is coming again and the good news that we aren't here on this earth alone, that God didn't leave us. That he is coming back someday and we have hope in him. So let us not forget this good news that we have, that Christ has come to save us from our sins and he is coming again. So this is the reception, receiving the good news. Now let's look at how the shepherds responded to the good news in verses 15 through 19. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds respond right away. As I imagine most of us would do, if an angel appeared and gave us some good news, we would probably drop whatever we were doing and go see what the angel had told us about. So when the angels leave, the shepherds say to one another, let us go. This could also be translated, we must go. It's a first person plural imperative saying, we have to do this thing. There's no stopping us. We must go to see this thing that the angel had told us about. And so they go to Bethlehem. We, there's the Christmas carol that we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and it was a very little town. A town of about 300 people at the time. It may have been a little bit larger because of all the people that were there for the census. But if you want to get kind of a frame of reference, um, the large town of Vonsville is about 280 people or Beaver Dam's about 320. So that's about the size of place that you're looking at population-wise. It would have been more spread out than Bondsville. They didn't live that close together. Um, but it's a very small place. So it wouldn't be that hard to go through a small town like that and ask around and find, where is this child? Um, so they likely would have been able to go door-to-door and been, hey, have you, is there any news of a baby being born? And everyone's there that's probably family because they're all there for the census, all people from the line of David um, who claimed their home as Bethlehem. They find Mary and Joseph, and they let them know, this is what happened, you'll never believe. We were out in the field tending to our flock, and these angels showed up and told us about a child who would be born, and we would find him in a manger just like your baby, and the angel said that this was going to be the Savior. Now, Mary already knew this good news because she had an angel come and tell her the exact same thing. But can you imagine the reassurance of having someone else come that had the exact same angelic message that this child is going to be the Savior, the one that we have waited for? The shepherd's response shows that the good news changed both their focus and their testimony. Now, these shepherds, they had a responsibility. They, were, they weren't just out in the fields at night for fun. They were supposed to be taking care of these sheep. But immediately they leave the sheep to go with haste into Bethlehem. Their focus shifts from what they were doing to responding to this good news. I think it's the same for us. When we get good news, especially if it's like really good news, then you kind of lose track of what you were doing and go focus on something else, the good news that you've received. And my, re- my response is always, I- I've got to call somebody. I've got to tell somebody. I- I've got to share this because it's so exciting. That's the shepherds. Their focus shifted from taking care of sheep to going to see the Savior. Their testimo- testimony also changes. I imagine if you would have gone out into the field the night before this happened and talked to the shepherds, they probably would have just told you a bunch of stories about sheep and caring for sheep. That was their livelihood. They might have told you about their family and things like that. But if you went and talked to them on this night, their testimony would have changed. They would have wanted to tell you about nothing other than the angels who appeared to them and this baby who is the Savior. 
We've talked a lot about testimony this year, and I think it's interesting, even in the Advent season, as we're coming to the end of the year, that we still see people who are testifying about the gospel. So we, too, have received the good news. And much like the shepherds, I'm going to say that our focus should be changed, and our testimony should be changed. So let's talk about what does it mean that our focus has changed? Now, if we see the example of the shepherds, you might think, well, we just neglect our jobs and everything else that's going on, and we focus on the gospel. But we have to look at the whole testimony of Scripture and what the Scripture has to tell us. And what the Bible says as a whole is it admonishes us to work diligently, to care for our families, to maintain a household, all of these things while still focusing on the gospel. And so it's not that we're called to neglect all earthly responsibilities and just go stand on the street corner and preach the gospel. Now, if an angel shows up and tells you to do that, go do it. But we are called to do all of those things, to live our life focused on the gospel, focused on the promise that Christ is returning someday. So that means that with our families, we love one another and spur each other on to good works. We preach the gospel to one another, and we preach the gospel to our children. We love selflessly as Christ has loved us because we know there's a day when Christ is coming. And not only will we have to give an account for what we have done, but also we want to encourage those around us to live faithfully, to hold fast to the word of truth that they've received. And so in our family life, we want to keep our focus on eternity and our focus on the good news of the gospel while we also take care of the responsibilities that God has given us. In our work, this means that we work diligently for the Lord and not for men. The end goal of the work that we do is not just to please our superiors, our bosses, our employers. Our ultimate goal is to please God. And even that, for those of you who your career is in making something, whether that's in a factory or design work, you're creating things which are going to help other people, which are going to hopefully in some way make their lives a little bit easier. You're bringing, in some ways, hopefully a, you're overthrowing the curse. You're pushing back the ways that the world is broken in what you're creating. Um, and for those of you who are in the service industry, you also are trying to push back the effects of the curse, the brokenness by serving and caring for those and loving them. And so we don't do this just to, you know, put in our nine to five and then go do the things that really matter. But in that nine to five, we not only work diligently for the Lord, but we preach the gospel to those around us. So much like these shepherds, our focus should shift. Even in other areas of life and spheres of life like our finances, we're good stewards, knowing that God has called us to care for the gifts that he has given us. But yet we don't put our trust in money for security. We don't put our trust in earthly things for all of our hope. Our focus is shifted. So the shepherds, their focus shifted and their testimony changed. And so our testimony must change too. I found it probably the most interesting thing to me as I was studying this passage that I hadn't thought about before 
is that the shepherds go and testify to someone who's already heard the good news. And so often when we think about testifying, we think about evangelism, taking the good news to those who have never heard it before. But part of testifying is also sharing the good news with those who have heard it before and need the encouragement. So the shepherds go and they share this good news with Mary. And like I said before, Mary, she treasures these things in her heart. This would have been such a special moment for her to have that reassurance that the message that she received was received by others as well. In the same way, when we take time to preach the gospel, to help others focus their minds on eternity, to share how God is working and moving through our lives, through our families, through our homes, through our work, we encourage one another and help each other keep our focus on Christ. Now, the passage says here that um, it wasn't just Mary and Joseph. It says, all who heard it. And I was a little curious, who are all? Because in my major scene, it's just Mary and Joseph, a couple of shepherds, a bunch of animals, and some wise men who are anachronistically placed at the time of birth, but they don't probably show up until years later. Um, and as, as I was doing some research, um, I found it interesting that they said in this time it would have been very common for Mary to probably have a midwife with her. I just always thought that it was just like Mary and Joseph in the stables kind of roughing it out together. But likely she probably had somebody there who knew what she was doing. And they're also in Bethlehem. This is most likely Joseph's hometown. There's family all around. They want to come and see the baby. Um, and this incredible thing that's happening so likely it's not just the shepherds they're sharing, but they're also sharing with these other people who may not have heard this good news. So we share the good news with those who have heard it, with those who are believers already, but we also share the good news to those around us who may have never heard this before with the hope that like those who heard the shepherd's testimony, others would wonder at the miraculous salvation we have through Christ. So I want to challenge us this week. In the season of Advent, as you think about Christmas, take time and testify. And specifically, I want to challenge you to testify to someone who may have, who already knows the good news. Reach out to somebody, whether that's someone in your family or someone in the church or another believer that you might know, and share with them a testimony about how God is working in your life about how the gospel has impacted you and encourage them with the hope that like Mary, you might give them some good news that they can treasure in their heart that will encourage them and lift them up. So as you think about Advent and Christmas this season, this, this week specifically, take time to share the gospel with those around you. Now we still have one more verse to cover. And that is, we've had receiving the good news, we've responded to the good news, and finally, we're going to revel in the good news or celebrate the good news. In verse 20, the shepherds returned, because they did have to get back to the sheep. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And they leave, and you can imagine the scene now as they go back to their shepherds, go back to the sheep, they just can't stop talking. Anyone they run into, they're telling them about. They're probably singing the praise that the angels saying, praising God too, saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So as we sing our last song, 
we're going to sing again, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Let us celebrate together the good news that this wondrous mystery that Christ has come to save us from our sins and also celebrate the fact that he is coming again. And we can look forward to that together. Um, I'm going to close this in prayer and invite the worship team to come up. Lord, we thank you for this good news that you deliver to the shepherds and also that you have passed along to us. That Christ has come to save us from our sins. That it is so much more than salvation from an earthly power. It is salvation from a spiritual power of darkness that has kept us in captivity. That we can have freedom from sin. And Lord, I pray that all who are here today would come to know you and to know your power, your saving power, and to know your son deep and on a personal level, that they would know the salvation that can be theirs. And Lord, I pray now that you would be honored and glorified through our praise and worship as we are immensely thankful for the good news that you have brought to us, that Christ has come, he was born in a manger, and he died on a cross for our sins. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen.